to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We have a tendency to think that if we're going through some difficulty, some challenges, some affliction, some persecution, sometimes we have a tendency to think that it's an indicator that God's hand is no longer upon us, His favor no longer rests with us. But the story of Joseph shows us that that's really not the case at all. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapters 39 through 40 in a message titled, The Testing of Joseph. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So we pick up again now in the life of Joseph. And Joseph, for me, this story is so amazing. And every time I read this story, I'm moved by it. Every single time, I'm just, I'm enthralled with the the whole drama that unfolds. And I always find myself at the end of the story, you know, getting choked up and just being so moved emotionally uh, by the things that transpired. And what a great example and and what a great man uh, Joseph was. I remember when I was about 17 years old and I was a 17-year-old heathen and... Of course, I spent, you know, as much time away from home as I possibly could. And I would, um, you know, be out with my friends and, you know, we'd be partying seven nights a week and all of that. And occasionally my dad, who was, he was quite a heathen himself, but occasionally he would do something really weird. Like he'd make me read a, a, a book of the Bible or, you know, just some strange thing. And, and I remember one night, or I remember one afternoon, my friends and I, we were planning to go out. We were, you know, some party, some destination that we had a plan for that evening, and we're, we're all excited about it. And, and that afternoon, my dad says, oh, by the way, uh, you're not going anywhere tonight. And that was extremely unusual for my dad. And so I, you know, what, what are you talking about? You know, I, of course I'm going somewhere. You know, we're, we're going out. We got a plan already. Nope, you're not going anywhere tonight. You're going to stay home with me. And so, you know, you know, well, what are we going to do? And he says, well, there's a movie on, and I, I want to watch it with you. And, you know, you can imagine. <laughs> I tried every conceivable way to get out of that, and he just would not let me off the hook. And the movie was an old Hollywood rendition of the life of Joseph. The movie was called Jacob and Joseph. And he forced me to sit there with him and to watch that movie that night. And I have to confess that when the evening was over, I thought this is one of the best evenings I've had in years. It was a great, great time. Now, you know, it's funny with some of those Hollywood biblical epics, you know, when you don't know anything about the Bible, of course, you just, everything you see on the screen, you think that that's the way it happened, and then, you know, you get to know the word later, and you go back, and you realize it wasn't exactly like that, but as far as I could remember, the story was pretty accurate, 
And I found myself just being captivated, even back then, by the drama and, and by this great story. So I trust that you will have that experience as we go through these chapters here. So picking up in chapter 39. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, he put under his authority. Now, remember, Joseph was hated by his brothers. They plotted to kill him, but they figured in the end that probably wasn't the best idea. So instead, they sold him to the Ishmaelites. And as we read here, they they took him to Egypt, and then he was purchased by this man Potiphar. But notice verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, you would think that the things that happened to Joseph would be some sort of an indicator that the Lord wasn't with him because he's been sold into slavery. He's been carried away from his home. He's been put in a place of tremendous difficulty and suffering. And generally, when we think of those kinds of situations, we don't think so much of the Lord being with a person in that kind of a thing. We think that, you know, where did the Lord go? What, what happened? Why am I in this predicament? God, did you forget about me? Or, Lord, have I done something wrong? Have I sinned and you've just cast me off? We have a tendency to think that if we're going through some difficulty, some challenges, some affliction, some persecution, sometimes we have a tendency to think that it's, it's an indicator that God's hand is no longer upon us, his favor no longer rests with us. But the story of Joseph shows us that that's really not the case at all. Because the Lord was working through this entire situation. And as we go on in the story, we're going to find that in an amazing way, and as we talked previously about providence, but in an amazing way, God is orchestrating all of these circumstances to bring about his ultimate purpose, not only for Joseph, but also for the the chosen family, for the family of Jacob. So he is purchased by this man, Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard, and the Lord was with him. And and the Lord made him successful in the house of Potiphar. So you see, even though he was in an adverse situation, even though he was in a less than ideal situation, 
even though on the one hand, he's in the midst of a, of a severe trial, yet even in the midst of it, there's a blessing. And, and there's an indication, something that was noticeable, something that was visible. There was a sense, even, even from Potiphar's perspective, that the Lord was with this young man, Joseph. And so in verse five, it says, so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So Potiphar had such confidence in Joseph, just such complete trust in him. He no longer even bothered to you know, keep track of his belongings. He entrusted all of that to Joseph. So Joseph is made the steward over the house of Potiphar. And then this little side note, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. So Joseph at this point, remember Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold by his brothers into slavery. It will be from, from that time till the time that he's ultimately released from prison and brought before Pharaoh, it will be a, a total of 13 years. Joseph will be 30 years old when he finally stands before Pharaoh. So he's you know, evidently spent some time in Potiphar's house. How much time? We don't know. If it was five years, then he was, what, 22 years old. If it was 10 years at this point, he was 27 years old. The, the point is this. He's a young man. He's a handsome young man. He's a, he's a well-built young man. And he is in a situation where he's completely removed from all that's familiar to him. He's completely removed from his family and all of those values that he would have been brought up with, with his family. He's in Egypt where at the time, uh, the historical evidence indicates that the morality, it was a very immoral uh, society at the time. And he's in a situation where it would have been understandable and quite easy for him to succumb to this kind of temptation. But the amazing thing is he doesn't. The amazing thing is Joseph stands firm. He stands alone and he stands firm. Listen to what he went on to say. He goes on and he says to Potiphar's wife these great words. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph, even with all of the adversity that he had 
uh, experienced. He did not in any way lose his confidence or his faith in the Lord. You know, it would be very easy for him to justify embracing that, that invitation. He could have said, well, you know, God obviously doesn't really care about me. That's why I'm a slave here in Egypt. He could have reasoned that, well, you know, my, my father's morality and, and the things that I, you know, was brought up with, I mean, those things were important amongst my, my father and the family there. But Egypt has an entirely different moral code. And, and I'm here now in Egypt. It doesn't look like I'm ever going to be freed from this. I might as well just take advantage of the opportunity. So many things that, that would have lent to Joseph compromising at this point. And mainly, I think he could have justified it by just saying, you know, God let me down. So why am I going to bother to continue to obey God? Why am I going to bother to think about uh, what the Lord might want in a situation like that? He hasn't really done much for me. He's left me stranded down here. But Joseph is a, a young man so full of integrity that as this woman is, is coming on to him and as she's tempting him, he says, how could I do this to your husband, my master, but how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Sexual temptation is very much a part of our lives today, isn't it? And where there, there was a time when our culture had more of a, of a moral standard that was akin to the biblical standard, we have moved quite a ways beyond that at this point. And today, this kind of thing, of course, happens all the time. And not just this kind of thing, but things that are even more unbelievable in that regard. Back in the mid-70s, a well-known pastor debated one of the founding editors and then public affairs managers of, manager of Playboy magazine. The editor's name was Anson Mount. And this is how he articulated the Playboy philosophy. He said, man is capable of evil, but is basically good. Human pleasure is good by definition. Human welfare and happiness are the greatest good. Sex is natural. What is natural is good. And therefore, it is good to have sex under almost all conditions. So this, this guy articulated this in the debate with his pastor back in the mid-70s. Now, that's when the country kind of broke loose from its previous moral moorings and, and began to drift. And boy, we've drifted a long, long ways uh, since that time, haven't we? And sexual temptation today is probably more of an issue than it's ever been in the past because of, you know, the, the development of technology. Of course, you know the issues with the internet and all of that. We live in a highly charged, sexually oriented culture. 
And, and this kind of stuff is coming at us all the time. It's coming at us from every angle. And the only way that we're going to have victory over sexual temptation is the same way Joseph had it. Joseph had victory over sexual temptation because his commitment to God was greater than his desire to fulfill his flesh. And you know, when it all comes down to it, that's really the thing that's gonna make the difference in a person's life. We can't really expect that things are going to change for the better in our culture. It's probably gonna continue to spiral downward and the temptation is gonna become greater and greater. And if our ability to resist is only based upon you know, avoiding temptation as much as we possibly can, we could easily become victims. There's got to be something stronger that keeps us. So even in the face of temptation, we do not succumb to it. And that thing is the very thing that Joseph had. Joseph had a commitment to God. And he had, as a result of that commitment to God, he had a consciousness of God. You see, to Joseph, he had the absolute right perspective. To Joseph, God was not back in the land of Canaan with his family. God was with him in Egypt. Even though Egypt was an idolatrous nation and did not worship the true God, Joseph understood that God was with him there. Joseph is the kind of young guy that would have gone off to a university somewhere And he would not have succumbed to the pressures there. He would not have backslidden. He would not have lost his faith. He would not have, you know, got sucked into the party scene and all of that kind of a thing. And here's the thing that we have to understand. It's entirely and completely possible to live victoriously over sexual sin. Sometimes today, some of the stuff that we hear people saying, it almost seems like it's inevitable that at some point in time, you're just going to you know, have to give in to this. That's not the case. And we need to be careful that we're not deceived by that. A commitment to the Lord, like the commitment Joseph had, will safeguard us against the temptation that will certainly come our way. So we have to maintain that consciousness of God. You see, Joseph saw this temptation from Potiphar's wife as a great wickedness and a sin against God. Part of the problem today in our culture is we no longer see sin as a great wickedness. We no longer see it as something that is an affront to God. We no longer see it as something that is highly offensive to God. We see it as just, well, you know, it was a mistake. It was an accident. It was, uh, well, you know, I just I got into the flesh temporarily. And I think to some extent, and, you know, believe me, I'm all for the grace of God. But I think to some extent, we've misinterpreted the grace of God. And in our misinterpretation of the grace of God, we've diminished the offense of sin before God. And so sometimes we can be simultaneously living in sin and, you know, 10 minutes later in church worshiping God and there's, there's no conflict or, or contradiction. Even in our spirits, we, we kind of compartmentalize our lives and 
We just don't think of it in the way that we ought to think of it. Joseph saw this as great wickedness and sin against God. And even though our culture is inundated with sexual immorality, and and because of the familiarity with these things nowadays, we sort of become desensitized. You know the way to keep from becoming desensitized is to stay in the word. Let the word keep refreshing you. Let the word keep washing you. Let the word keep convicting you and you won't become desensitized. You'll look at something and say, that's wicked. And therefore, I can't look at it. That's, that's sin against the Lord. So I'm not gonna dabble with that. I'm not gonna entertain that. I'm not gonna move at all in that direction. Joseph is a great example for us in this area as a young man. His commitment was to God. For those that have struggled with sexual sin, you know, there are lots of ideas that people have about how to, you know, ultimately gain a victory. And there are different programs that people have developed and accountability groups and, you know, all different kinds of things. And I've talked to many, many people who have struggled in these areas and they, they've told the stories about the accountability partner and about the, the filters on the internet and about, you know, the, the, the group therapies and all that they've gone to. But, you know, most guys that I've talked to have told me that they always found a way around those things. They always found a way to outsmart their accountability partner. They always found a way to get around the filter on the internet. They always found a way to deceive the group there at the, the group sessions. And what it finally came down to for each person that I've spoken to that has gained a victory is simply this. They gained the victory when they realized that this was a great sin against God. This was great wickedness, and they threw themselves basically upon the mercy of God and asked God to, to forgive them and to empower them to have victory. That's the way to get it. You see, because it's a, it's a matter of the heart. And when the heart is set upon the Lord, and when the heart has a genuine sense of the fear of God, we're not going to go in that direction. We're going to look at that temptation as it comes our way. And instead of being drawn to it, we're going to be repelled by it. We're going to say, that's great wickedness. And that is sin against the Lord. And I'm not going to entertain it. I'm not going to dabble with it. I'm not going to give it another moment's time in my mind or, or before my eyes. So Joseph set the example for us so long ago. So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. So she was persistent, obviously. This wasn't just a one-time occurrence. She kept pressuring him. Let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. Beautiful People Don't Just Happen is the title of a book by Scott Sauls. 
And the subtitle is How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans. And I think in the title and the subtitle, we can see that this book is going to be really helpful in helping us understand how God is using the challenging things in our life to make us, in the end, more like Christ. So my recommendation here is Scott Saul's book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. Pick up your copy. I know you're going to be blessed by it. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. You can order the book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen by Scott Sauls, to remind you to assign a purpose to your regret, hurt, and fear. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.